All right, guys, so welcome to another episode of the Imperfectly Perfect podcast. And today I've got a living legend. Um, he's not that old, to be honest with you, but um, he's a legend all the same, Tim Con- Conlon. Uh, now, for those of you that may not know him, a lot of people in Australia do. He's a full-time musician living on the Northern Beaches of Sydney, so he's a Northern Beaches boy. Have you always been in the Northern Beaches, Tim? Yeah, honestly. Like, a lot of people that live on the Northern Beaches, they just don't cross the bridge and, you know... I was pretty much one of them, yeah. <laughs> I heard that before. Like, yeah. we're obviously near the city, and they always say, oh, you're venturing out if someone from the north comes in. Yeah. Oh, bubble. Um, so he he plays a lot of gigs around the city. You've transitioned through to acting. You were on the popular, well, one of Australia's most popular shows, The Voice, on Team Delta, so Delta yep. Goodroom. So we're going to delve into your career, first of all, find out all about that. And then because it's called the Imperfectly Perfect campaign, what I want to do is, Everyone does have a story, and I know we've got to know each other over the weeks. And, yeah. and your story is really fascinating about where you've come and grown up with, um, with a huge family and that kind of dynamic. So, yeah, let's talk about your career first. You started off when you was what, around 12, you were saying, when you found you was interested in music? Yeah. Well, I remember being a little kid, like honestly five, and just wanting to be a rock star, you know. I was such a little um, attention seeker. But you can tell now when you're on camera like that, this big smile, yeah. you talk about it. <laughs> we haven't changed yet, still that attention seeker. So I remember wanting to be a rock star. So that sort of um, mindset was always in me. I just wanted to you know, perform and be on stage. And then when I uh, was in primary school um, in year five, so I would have been about 11 or 12 then, my, I befriended a guy, we became best mates, and he just happened to want to start guitar at that age as well. So we both picked up a guitar and we happened to be best friends as well. And then from there, it just never really stopped. So you're self-taught? No, I actually did get lessons. So yeah, my parents, uh, you know, paid for me to get lessons, which is really, I'm really grateful for. And um, yeah, it was at school as well. So I could just, you know, I'd have to turn up because I'd be at school. So, you know, it was weekly and yeah, that sort of, that was consistent. And yeah, singing sort of came, I mean, I always wanted to sing and I sang around the house and that, but when I wanted to, you know, sing properly, that was probably at about 14 or 15. Yeah. And um, I know you were telling me you, you used to play rugby. So did, did, did that start within school and you made a choice or you transitioned or yeah, singing come apart from, from the rugby? Because I know we were touching on it, but to anyone who yeah. didn't know that. Well, yeah. So my school, it unintentionally, it kind of was a rugby school, but mm. also at the same time, it was a music school. You know, we actually had people like Flume um, go to our school, who's done so well. But um, yeah, so I mean, it was an all boys school too. So I guess, sort of kills me to say, but at that age, the cooler thing, I, I thought, I think probably was more rugby, you know, it was like, that was a thing. But I still love music. And this best friend of mine who played guitar with me, he was always pushing me to, you know, no, come on, stick with this as well. So I was sort of juggling both the rugby and the music. Um, I loved them equally at that time. But then when I left school and I thought, okay, I've got to get a job now, there was only one job and I just wanted to gig full time and do music. So ultimately, yeah, the career went to, yeah, music. (laughs) But when did you find out from playing the guitar that you could actually hold a tune? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll tell you what, it's like when you start anything, when you, when you first start an instrument or a skill, you've got to like be okay with kind of sucking for the first part, you know, and I definitely, Definitely went through that period. Can you remember, uh, just going back, sorry to interrupt, yeah. can you remember yeah. the first time, obviously you might sing in the shower, you might sing mm. 
that you opened up in front of somebody else and how you was feeling at that time? Or was it one of your sisters or your mum that walked in and heard you singing one day or, and said you had a good yeah. one? I, I remember, it's ironic because at every gig, you know, and every weekend we get, I get requested to play Wonderwall, like every single gig. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember that song, I remember singing that, like my dad bought me like a CD, like one of those singles you get, like, and like, I remember just, blasting that over and over and singing to it. I don't know how well I sang to it, but that was young. So yeah. I always sang and sung along to things. And I, I remember, yeah, I remember mum and stuff saying that I, you know, had a nice voice, whatever. But I think it's just sort of like, yeah, it's finding that confidence and that letting go of that inner voice that tells you you, you can't, you know, and just sort of, yeah, being open to it, you know? Yeah. And you come from a big family, big family of sisters. Mm. Yeah, so. yeah. I'm so sensitive. Yeah, I got I got four sisters, so um, smack bang in the middle, which is kind of kind of ironic because you come across as this when you see a big burly guy tattoos, and I've got to know you over the past few weeks, and you're just pretty much a teddy bear. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, to an extent, I sort of, but I I like that. You know, I love that I've had, well, that I have sisters. You know, because it's they've taught me so much growing up, you know, and I think it perhaps has helped me um, channel that sensitive side, which again is great to have as an artist and just as a, a person really, I think. So yeah, I wouldn't have it any other way. And then you obviously, you moved into, uh, what made you go for the voice, Voice Australia? Was you approached or did you apply? Um, well, it was one of those things like, um, I went to a music uni called AIM, the Australian Institute of Music. And through there, you just sort of meet so many different uh, musicians, you know, and Sydney siders and whatnot. And everyone from that school had, you know, done the voice at some point or was doing it, you know, a particular season. And um, the head of contemporary music, Jamie Rigg, his daughter, Rachel, worked on the show. And so that voice, the voice team would come and, you know, check out performances at uni and whatnot and just... So I guess my world was sort of uh, a bit more on display, you know, in that sense. And yeah, I I had a friend that worked on the show and he just, he told me that I should audition one year. And I just, I've seen so many of my friends um, take part in the show and just gain so much. And I heard such good stories about how the producers and the coaches just really looked after you and wanted you to do, to do the best. So yeah, it was kind of a no brainer for me. So then... Take me back to that day. Obviously, you knew who the judges were, but still, mm. to stand there with four people, like peers, yeah. not facing you and thinking, shit, live audience, yeah, four shit. people who I admire, what was totally. that like? Totally, yeah. I mean, because you're used to gigging, you know, full-time, and when you gig full-time, sometimes, you know, but if you're playing your own songs, you're playing a song that means a lot to you, you're really connected, but other times when you're gigging it's just work you know so you're just sort of on flight mode but yeah playing in front of four coaches who you you've definitely looked up to at some point in your career because yeah. there's that inner child in you that's just like you know your own worth and you know your talent but there's an inner child saying oh god please think that i'm good enough you know and that that inner child really he or he or she kind of goes crazy that day um but, you know, that's the, that's the risk you take. And, yeah, I, I was really lucky and fortunate to have Delta and Seal turn around. And, yeah, I'll, I'll actually never forget that day because I had 
three of my best mates in the audience. I had my four sisters, mum and dad. Like it was, yeah, such a good day. Yeah. Um, I forgot where I was going to go with that. Oh yeah, I was going to take the mic a little bit and say, what was your chosen song that you sang with? Was it Wonderwall? <laughs> <laughs> I think the voice would probably ban that. Um, <laughs> and now uh, it was actually an Ed Sheeran song, it's Castle on the Hill. So I can't complain with Ed Sheeran, eh? Oh. So obviously, again, going into your career, you then transitioned from The Voice. It gave you a good platform. Yes. Um, yeah. And then you, you delved into the world of acting. How did you find the transition from that? Yeah, I mean, acting's definitely not as easy as some people would maybe say. It's, um, you know, it's, I think musicians and actors can jump between because at the end of the day, it is still just a form of storytelling, you know. If you have those instincts, um, you can convey a story and through the choices you make um, <clears throat> on screen or, you know, through song. But uh, yeah, I found it challenging, but also really rewarding and therapeutic and just positive. Um, it was Delta who encouraged me to sort of try and go down that route as well. Um, yeah. And I'm really happy she did. That's really cool, mate. Yeah. Well, I ask everybody what I'm going to draw it to, towards the campaign is pretty much, Obviously, I know and I believe everyone has a story, where they came, what made them that. You kind of exude this confidence, like you've been singing, you've been on this show, this show to jump into acting, to do all this. So from the outside kind of persona to people that don't know you, again, why I like to de-celebritize a lot of things and people is because everyone has a story and you don't know where people have come from. Mm. So have you always kind of been in yourself extrovert or was you an introvert and you've built that confidence and where has that come from? Yeah. So I've had this conversation with my therapist, my, my mom, my dad, I was always, you know, if you've got extrovert here and introvert here, oh, um, people can't see my hands right now, but basically I was on the other end of it. You know, I was the top of extrovert beyond that scale. Like I, I just, thrived around people you know they they gave me joy and i just had to be around people all the time so much so that when i was alone um i i something about that as a young kid made me say this is not safe i do not like this um you know and that and i i always thought when i heard people say that you know things when you were young that they would carry on to your you know elder years i didn't think that was true but it it turned out for me, it really was. That was a pattern that I got in. So whenever I was alone, I'd say, this isn't safe. I don't like it. This is bad. And that's happened, you know, as I've gotten older. And as I got older, whenever I was alone, that's when I'd get these really dark, horrible thoughts, you know. And I, I, I didn't know what was wrong with me for so long. But, yeah, so I guess I've had to, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I love that I'm an extrovert, you know, that's, that's who I am, you know, and I think, I don't think you should necessarily change who you are, but it's good to, you know, learn from, learn different ways, you know, and take some of those introvert skills, which I've had to do over time, you know, um, and that's been great through, you know, therapy and whatnot, just having other people to sort of help me along the way. Yeah. And the first time I approached you and I reached out with the Imperfectly Perfect campaign and you looked into it and you saw some people that you probably worked with or you yeah. knew who, First of all, was you surprised that so many people who came on the campaign being in that industry? And yeah. second of all, what, what did you think when I first reached out to you? Absolutely, yeah. Um, yeah, I saw 
a lot of people who I recognized and I'd seen in my industry and all different types of industry. Industry. Like, then, um, this guy. <laughs> Second year was like, who is this guy? Who is this guy? No, no, I, I knew straight away that it was a it was a good thing you're doing, you know. Um, but I'll be honest, yeah, I I was scared when you sort of reached out to me at first, um, and it's quite if I it's quite selfish of me because I didn't want to share my story because purely because I thought that would make me look weak, and I thought that people and you know and that is so wrong. I could not be more wrong. It is not weak to speak. It's the opposite, you know vulnerability is strength that's what I've learned but I thought that uh me coming forth and saying that I've struggled with mental health issues you know depression anxiety I thought that would make you know agents and bookers say oh now Tim Conlon he's he's a bit of a liability let's just let's leave him there you know and I yeah so that's why I was scared to speak but the more and more I started to to read and, and just see you know your posts and other people's posts you know, I just started to see that some of these strong figures, you know, females, men, everyone, they were, they were coming forth and, and sharing their story. And I, I just realized how wrong I was before. Yeah, it's just so, it's, it's, it's become more prevalent now that more people are willing to step forward. And I think it's like what it's showing is it's going against that grain because like you said, you was worried about possible representation or agents thinking this, this, and this. Yeah. When people collectively come together and go, hold on a minute, I'm not going to put my well-being behind somebody making judgment on me. Mm. Like, the, who, who are you to say that I can't be successful or want to achieve something mm. by gone through struggles? Because we know every single person has been directly yeah. or indirectly affected by yeah. mental health to totally. some degree. Absolutely. And I think, and the beauty about coming forth is actually how you can help so many other people, you know? That's the main thing that I've found. But it's ironic because when you get in that mindset of helping other people, you know, by sharing a story, you actually get so much help in return, you know, even just, you know, talking to you, Glenn, and, you know, becoming mates like we have just this world I've been opened up into, you know, this through the podcast we've done and the, the virtual hang sessions, I've just met so many people who are going through the same story and they're just describing it in a slightly different way. And just, it's, you sort of, I saw that. I think you posted this quote. It said, your vibe attracts your tribe. Mm. Is that you? Yeah. And it's so true. Like just, so there's, now there's this great sort of network around, which I think is so positive. Yeah. It's, um, it's something that's so powerful because you see everyone across so many different industries and everyone's so successful in whatever they do, mm. but then they're brought together over a commonality and it just, the profession is so dispersed and nobody even questions what somebody does. It's just one thing and it's to do with mental health and how you feel. And those virtual hands, like we, well, we're getting up to about 30 people now and it's a nice, nice collective group where people are sharing. And you've got 30 people who are there in it, in that moment, feeling the stories and who have been through that too. There's something so beautiful about just looking into someone's eyes and, you know, you don't have to say anything. You both have the same sort of inner dialogue just saying, I get you, I've been there. You know, yeah. that's, that's priceless, you know. And then wait till, wait till we release your image. Mm. Like, because a lot of people who have come on this campaign when they've seen their image and it's gone out and they've reached back out to me because they've had people, whether it be like Marnie Kennedy, she was like people from her 
I don't know what you call it in Australia, but we call it nipper school. So like junior and infant school, sure. reach out to her and say, my God, I went through that. Thank you for that. And she's had so many people who have seen her over the years in her acting gear. So wow, that's amazing. And then you've got other like well-known public figures get in touch with me going, I never realized how much sharing your story could actually save someone's life or just inadvertently just help them a little bit better. 100%. And it just takes that whole, when I say de-celebritize, it just takes that platform to a whole new level and go, okay, I'm known for this, but my God, I can help this many people. Absolutely. Just by opening my, yeah. my mouth. That, that thing of helping, like I've sort of learned, and people like Russell Brand have taught me a lot I haven't met him personally, but I really want to, but his books, um, I've just, I've learned that helping people, um, you know, not wanting anything back and, and that, and just having conversations, you know, that is sort of such a key way on it, on it in helping people in, in, in sort of fixing this, I think just having those conversations, you know, it makes me sad to think people that potentially didn't have that opportunity to just speak with other people, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like that is a positive thing about social media. I think nowadays, you know, there's a lot of negatives behind it that people talk about, but man, these virtual hangs being connected to people and discussing our stories. That's, you know, that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. And you came up, you came on the second virtual hang and you ran a live acoustic session, which went oh. awesome, mate. But within that, Thanks, man. you played some of your original material. Yeah. And there was so much emotion about them talking about mental health. So that mm. comes from somewhere, which leads me to a question. Yeah. Um, where did that come from in you? Yeah. Well, that song that we're talking about is it's called Friend. And that song is purely all about the struggles with, with mental health and the loneliness that it can bring as, as a result, you know, and just sort of needing a friend. Um, I... I never really knew what mental health was and what, you know, these depression, I didn't really know what they were. Um, growing up, one thing I, I do know is that I always had a very busy mind. Um, so it, it was that, you know, we always talk about this inner voice. I think a lot of that, that word has popped up a lot throughout everyone's story, you know, this inner voice, which can be negative or positive. Um, and, Unfortunately for some people, it, it does sort of speak more negative than it does positive, you know, and that was similar for me growing up. Um, now, mind you, I was, I was at a school with lots of my friends. I was playing sport. I had routine. So things weren't as bad then. Um, however, there was a voice that was always going on in my head telling me I couldn't do this. I couldn't do that. You're, you're worthless. You're shit. All these things. And, you know, that, if that is your inner dialogue most of the time, then it's pretty hard to achieve things and, you know, be the best version of yourself. Um, but then, you know, as, as I got older um, and I went into the, the music industry that I do, um, this gigging lifestyle, which, you know, I love, it's, a, it's me and I would not change a thing, but the gigging lifestyle can be a bit more lonely at times you know you play on stage to a big crowd but then the crowd goes and you're packing the gear down by yourself and you know the lack of routine and perhaps this loneliness these voices started to come more and it turned into more negative thoughts you know and 
you know, feelings of being, you know, unworthy and just hopelessness. And, you know, I guess, I guess it sort of, it was, you know, depression, you know, and I, I this, these thoughts would constantly be there. Um, and I got, I remember talking to a therapist about it and she asked if we were talking about, you know, suicide and whatnot. And I said, well, I haven't, you know, it's not like I've planned out how I want to perhaps do it, but that word suicide, it's, it is in my head pretty much every day. It's just sort of floating around there. And I said, but that's, that's, you know, that's okay. Isn't it? And she sort of told me, well, that's, you know, that's how it starts, you know, a thought and then thought can become action. Um, so that was always there. And, you know, that's sort of a dangerous place to live in because if you're in that state, then of course, why would you care about the next day or the future? And that was sort of how I've lived my life for so long. And mind you, the way I'm, when I'm talking about this now, yes, I've improved, but I still go through these, these days, you know, I'm not just, I haven't just cured myself and I'm, you know, I, I'm still there. But so, of course, that that feeling of really not giving a fuck that led to, you know, how can I how can I numb this feeling? How, what can I do? You know, doesn't fuck saving money doesn't matter. So I would just find external ways to try and numb this feeling and just, and just to shut this voice up inside, which ultimately doesn't, you know, doesn't really help. It's a short term band aid sort of fix. Yeah, to fix the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was a great question and you just brought it up there. So we obviously did another virtual hang with a good friend of mine in the US, Wes Gear. Mm. You just hit the nail on the head there. It's when you are gigging and mm. he's a big international musician, it's the routine, like you said. Mm. And he also numbed the pain. Yeah. So he went down and he's very openly talking about it, about ad addiction and obviously yeah. going through recovery. Um, yeah. I really related to Wes then when he was saying that because I was the same, you know, every, whether it was drugs, alcohol, sex, like just, you know, ways to try and just silence it and make me not have to think, you know, or make me feel validated, whatever it was. And, you know, which then led to financial strain. It led to, um, you know, problems with my career because, you know, if I didn't give a fuck about the future. And if I didn't, if I truly didn't think I'd be around for that long, which was the mindset I was in, then why would it matter if I canceled a gig, you know, tomorrow? It doesn't matter. Who cares? Like, I'm not going to be, you know, fuck, who cares? Why does it matter if I cancel on some friends? Like, I'm not going to be there in a few years anywhere, a few months. Like, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if I snap at someone, you know? So that mindset, that was causing problems throughout my life for sure. I mean, that's what really intrigues me and what I try and bring about this campaign because I see in a couple of podcasts, like you will get one or two people who, who will comment on a picture of, say, one of the public figures on here. Mm. And they'll be like, what do they know? They've mm. got everything. They've got everything. But like you can attest to there, you, you just said it, you can be playing to a gig of a few hundred people or more. And then as soon as they go out that door, you're there alone packing that, your gear up yeah. Yeah. and usually you're on your own and it's like I was talking to another couple of musicians and they said this thing with performance anxiety mm. you can have that build-up of anxiety before you go on it can cripple you 
and then you can get on and no one would see that side. And that's what I personally love, that everybody's got a story. And the judgment, I always say, I was like, judgment is based on the back of hypocrisy. Because mm. we've all done things in the past, and which we were talking about the other day, when, when you think, oh, I can't say certain things, not yourself, but other people, I can't say certain things, because if this gets out, or people think this, and I'm like, but they've done things in the past they're probably not proud of. But being in the public yeah. eye, I always find it very ironic and so judgmental when press comes out and go, so-and-so's off the rails or so-and-so's off the rails. I'm like, yeah. oh, hold on a minute. They just went out for a night out, yeah. drunk, or they took something, which you've probably done in your, your youth, yeah. made stupid decisions, yeah. but yet you're going to put that in the press to make them live with it? Absolutely, yeah. Google we're, all, we're all just humans trying our best and we all you know we all make mistakes and i think it's yeah it's like what you just said in the press it can be it's it's quite negative sometimes and it's not just in the press like because i've had i think if we get into this mentality of because we're gonna we're all gonna fuck up from time to time right that is just we're not robots that is just common knowledge okay and i think like i saw joaquin phoenix who played the joker and when he won his oscar his speech he talked about how he's been hard to work with and been a scoundrel at times. And he, he wanted to thank people in the room who had given him a second chance um, because he said that humanity is at our best when we guide each other to redemption and we don't cancel each other out for our mistakes. And I think that's so important because, you know, at times that our mental health gets the best of us, we can make decisions that aren't really our true self. And, you know, we can act in ways we don't want to act. Um, and I think, people need to understand and truly believe that there is a way back to that redemption. And there is a way that we can, you know, be that best version of ourselves and have people support us. You know, we, we can't cancel each other out because if we live in this state of, Oh, well it's, there's no way I can be forgiven or there's no way back from this. That's a really scary world to be in. You know, I've, 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 like I said before, through some of these, behavioral patterns I got into I I really almost ruined my career a few times and I I did think that there was no way back you know and that is a dangerous place to be because if there's no way back fucking who cares like you know what's the point of sort of living that that was my mindset mm -hmm. and I'm lucky that I had a few people that said hey Timmy that's fucking bullshit you know which is true and that's why yeah I think people need to understand that there is always a way back, you know, with the right people around them, we can still be the best version of ourselves. And do you think that's what, what pulled you back into place? Having that, that community around you to pull you up on your shit or yeah. Uh, when, when was the ultimate time? Can you remember? Mm. You, I need to change this mindset. A few things for sure. Um, uh, I was in a relationship and we both loved each other very much. However, we, it just, you know, sometimes it, it things aren't right. And that sort of headspace I was in, that was sort of the catalyst to make me go and see a therapist again. You know, I tried for years and I just, to be honest, I hated it. I was, I was a little shit. I just, I didn't give much away. I was just probably wasn't that <laughs> nice to deal with, you know? And I found a therapist who I instantly connected with and she just taught me things about myself. Like she taught me, we talk about this depression, this feeling of, you know, just hopelessness that I always had. 
And we realized that it was only ever when I was alone, when I was sitting there alone at home at night, you know, it was never when I was around people. And then we linked that back to when I was young and we spoke about how when I was young, I, I just wanted all that attention. And naturally my parents have four other daughters to look after. I, you know, now I'm this extreme kid. that's like, please give it all to me. I, I just naturally couldn't. So something about that is what made that feeling of being unsafe when I was alone. So knowing that was why that was happening, that was just, that was such a big help because I could, once you know what the problem is, it's, it's easier to, to attempt to fix. Um, so that was a big help. Um, and consistency as well. Consistency, consistently going to that therapist, not just because I've tried in the past where I've gone for a week or two and then fucked off, you know, like you've got to be consistent. Um, but then also, I read this book by Russell Brand called Mentors and it just, he just banged on about how important it is to have people around you who can hold you accountable and help you, you know, and it might not be as, there might not be a large group, but there, you know, there's always a couple of people you can call on in your life and you'd be surprised how much they're willing to help you just because they want to. And having, you know, and like Glenn, you're, you're one of them to me, you know, and having a couple of these people, just it really holds me accountable and it makes me just feel stronger. You know, I've, I've called one of these guys before when I've been about to go and take part in a behavior, which is very bad, you know, and, and problematic. And he's taught me out of it. So little things like that. Yeah. I think that's amazing, mate. And uh, what, I, what, what I do love is the, is the fact that like you say there is you did things but then you didn't stay consistent at the first. And I think yeah. what I've learned through my journey and through doing a lot in the mental health space now and with everyone's story is don't beat yourself up or be too hard on yourself if you do fall out of that consistency. Yeah. Certain things work for one person that don't work for another. And I have spoken to people where I've gone, I've tried this, it didn't work. I've tried this, it didn't work. Keep trying. Mm. there's always going to be something and I, I think you said there like one therapist didn't work because you was a little shit yeah you, you fell into that other person that connected yeah the same with me I saw somebody who said that my must have my body dysmorphia for anyone that don't know came from suppressed something from my childhood and it didn't mm. and that quite frankly pissed me off and put me off that person and I was like oh well if they're not if they're trying to get to a certain point mm. when I found somebody that worked for me yeah. So I think that's important. Yeah, there's so many factors. Yeah. There's like in Russ, one of Russell's books, his uh, 12-step program, you know, recovery from addiction. He talks about how you need to you need to accept that there's a problem, and you need to believe that there is a way that there's a higher power, or there is a way that you can come out of it and fix it. Because I think the mind's such a powerful thing. If you're just constantly telling yourself, "This is me," this that's what I did. I just said, "No, this is me." I'm depressed. I have suicidal thoughts. That's the, that's just the way it freaking is. That that's me. I'm, you know, I always said that. And I always said to myself, you, you'll be gone before 30. You won't make 30. That's just my mind. But, but it's also like muscle memory. Like, you know, like, and I went to bed each night and it's like, I train myself to do this. I'd like put the head to the pillow and it's almost like I enjoyed having these thoughts, you know, of course I didn't enjoy it, but it, it's just like my brain had, had, trained for years and that's what i did you know um which is yeah so and if you're telling yourself that's the way you are then it's it's hard to come out of it 
But once you find a way and you truly believe, that's when you put the work in, you know? It's, it's, it, it, I always say with what I went through as well, it's truly powerful what the mind, mind can oh, do to you. God, yes. The way that you can, when you, when you release those feelings of feeling positive and good, it's amazing. But what you can do to yourself with internal thoughts, yeah, so detrimental. 100%. And that's why things like, I was always, when I was younger, I was always like skeptical of meditation and stuff just because my brain was so busy. But what I've learned is that's why things like meditation and mindfulness actually is so beneficial because it teaches you not to, not to like just suppress these thoughts or get angry about them or judge them, but it teaches you just to monitor them. And when they come up, instead of grabbing onto it and, you know, expand again letting it grow you just sort of monitor it and say oh i'm thinking about this again that's okay i'm going to come back to this moment now yeah and that's sort of what i've i'm getting better at doing you know whereas back in the day i'd have this thought you know oh you should kill yourself and i would keep going yeah this is why you should kill yourself because of this and that you not you can't do this no one likes you because this you blah blah you know and i that story would grow and grow and grow and grow Whereas through meditation, you might have that thought that that thought can still be there, but you don't give it life. You just say, okay, I'm thinking that but let's return to this, this state now. Yeah. But with that, even that's so powerful. What, what you're telling us. And that's, that's why I love everyone's story because I can look at you or people can look at you with your profile and who you are and go, he's a good looking guy. He can sing. He can play the guitar. He's so confident. But you, you're like, you're still with those suppressed emotions of a little boy that wanted attention and you've suppressed them that much that you're bringing them into your later life. Yeah. But now you've found a way through therapy and dealing with that mindset in a yeah. holistic kind of approach Yeah. to go, I can take control and I can bring myself back and I don't have to be that little boy anymore. Yeah. Which is amazing. It's, not, it's not even anyone's fault. You know, it, it, you can't, you can't be mad and say, oh, why did this happen when I was young? Like, yeah, it's just... It, I don't know, you know, I just happened to be this expert that needed, and it's not even my parents' fault. They had amazing parents. They just had five, four, five kids to look after, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's just, but I think knowing, that's why I think, you know, a therapist helped me a lot, just personally, just because she was able to, to work out why, why that was, you know, where that came from. And as I said, when you, when you know what a problem is, it's easier to attack it and try and fix but what I will say too is, you know, through campaigns like this, just normalizing conversations around it, um, that has helped immensely too. I think that's why I love music too, because there's always a song out there that says, hey, I'm going through what you're going through too. You know, I feel what you're feeling too. And they might just be saying it in a different way. You know, it's like, it's like an old friend you didn't know you had. But in this campaign, you literally get new friends who know what you're going through and have been through it too and who are on the same wavelength of you and just purely want to help each other and having that uh network around you is so positive yeah like through you i i, I could message people right now and say hey hey bob you know i'm having this sort of thought today um and they would reply within minutes you know and talk to me about it <laughs> they wouldn't be scared of it they wouldn't you know, ignore it They because they know what it's like and they would help. And just like I would do the same to them. And it's just, that's what this community 
has has built, and I think it's it's so positive. And do you find with with your, you know, when you first started, or I'll ask you this actually, when mm. you started seeing a therapist, did you find yourself initially quite closed, or did you tell your, especially as a male, to your male friends, did you tell them initially, or did, could they see externally that there was something going on with you? Mm. So. That best man I told you about, um, who I play guitar with at school, and that he he's he's always been like a bit of a life coach to me, and he was telling me to go for years, you know, and I was always too proud. So I was lucky that that conversation with him was quite normal, and there wasn't anything weird about it. Um, but I I think definitely, you know, when I was perhaps more in my jock or rugby days, I I felt a bit more embarrassed by it for sure. You know, I didn't really vocalize it as much, these thoughts that I was dealing with and, you know, wanting, you know, perhaps needing to see a therapist. But I think now, I, I think, I think through campaigns like this, it's becoming more normal to talk about, you know, yeah. like I heard this song the other day, the first line is my therapist called you a learning experience. And that first line, I was just like, Whoa, I'm in because, so real and you're just like oh, okay this celebrity he sees a therapist too okay right you know yeah it, it's good that it's becoming more, more normalized but are you finding from that question that i just asked then are you finding that now you are being more open with your male friends especially you're becoming closer yeah definitely um for sure because i think as i said and as you've taught me too when when you help each other and you truly don't want anything back that just opens this sort of new relationship I find. And when people, yeah. And I think if you come to someone with a mental health problem, they, they don't, they can't feel worthless either because they're helping you. You know what I mean? And vice versa. And I think, yeah, I think I sort of have become more open with it. And I think, I think anyone, I encourage anyone to, to try, you know, just to try because it feels like a burden, you know, saying it to people and, but it's also a burden keeping it within, you know, and I think just having conversations around it can be so positive. I think that's the thing what, when, when people realize like when you probably opened up to your parents, it mm. would kind of taken them about because there's nothing worse than knowing that your child struggled and they didn't come to you with it but then you were battling your own demons and you didn't want to hurt their feelings or put it on them yeah. or your sisters or like, I, I never shared it with my mum when I did yeah. with my mum, she was taken aback. People want to help you. And I think yeah. people get in such a state with themselves in the mindset thinking there will be a burden. Really? That's amazing. Yeah, you, you, you literally think that you are such a burden that it is better off not telling a soul because you think that the second you tell people, you're just saying, here's all my shit, take it, hold it, you know? And you think that that's just going to ruin their life, which it really isn't, you know? Like if someone came to me and said, hey, Tim, like I'm struggling with this, I, I would thank them, you know? I'd be, I, I would be really happy they told me. Mm. And that's because I've been through it too, you know? And I think we need, I think people need to... I know it's hard to think that because I was one of those people that thought I was a burden, you know, I didn't want to tell no one. And all I, all I wanted to do was suppress it and numb it through, you know, drugs, alcohol, sex, all these things. 
but I've learned that, you know, that's not the way, you know, through discussions and compassion of others, that is the way. It is, mate. And now coming up to present day, so you've gone through that, you've written some incredible music we've been fortunate enough to hear yeah. through mental health. And do you find, so I know what I like to show through this campaign is how people have overcome their adversity. And I know one of yours is therapy, but another form is songwriting. Yeah, 100%, yeah. So you've got some new music coming out soon. What can we expect from it? And when, yeah. when can we hear it, mate? Oh, thanks, mate. Uh, well, I, I think through all this, these past few years and this, this journey, I, I've, I've learned that I, I really want to be a storyteller. I want to tell my story. I want to help other people just like you do, you know? And I, I, and I think the way doing that is, is, Writing songs are, are pretty much the equivalent of me ripping out a page of my diary and saying, here you go, Glenn, read that one. You know, I think I connect more with that music. I think people relate to that music more, um, you know, than me singing about maybe getting drunk on a beach or something. You know what I mean? Or getting drunk in a club. <laughs> I had to do that. But uh, you, you know what I mean? I think that's... That's the way to tell my story. So I, every every song is sort of going to be along those lines. Not just mental health, but just just real feelings. Yeah, yeah, amazing. And I I will put a link to uh, the one that you shot the other day. Like that song, everyone was taken aback. There was oh, <laughs> everyone was just so silent and was like, wow. And that was like about what 25, 30 people just listening yeah. to. It. And it was a yeah. quick and it was raw, and everyone was like, whoa. No, thank you, thank you. Amount of messages yeah. after that going, when is he going to release that? When is he going to drop? Like, because it connected with people. Yeah, well, I think there, and uh, even that song, I was like, you know, years ago, that, that song's lived with me for maybe two or three years, and I, I, I was scared to release that one, I'll just show that to people because, you know, frankly, I'm just scared, emotionally impaired, forever unprepared, I'm done trying to pretend. I don't want to die, but I hardly want to live. You know, that that's like, they were hard things for me to say, you know, I, I was scared to say them, but now I know that people need to hear those words, you know, because if one person can say, Hey, I feel that way too. Um, but okay. Tim's feeling it as well. So maybe I'm not as, I'm not as weird as I think I am, you know, and then perhaps that can start a conversation and then, improvements can be made you know we've, we've got to just help each other you know that's as simple as that we've bring that compassion into the world and and everyone needs to know that this yes it's not going to be easy and we're going to have our days you know there's no i don't know there's i don't really know there's a way to forever just perfectly fix everything you know um but there there are definitely ways to manage these thoughts and feelings and around the right people it can be done it can mate and i just want to I want to thank you for being a part of the campaign and obviously thank we've you thank know you. each other well over the past few weeks, mate. And I think you're an awesome guy doing some great stuff. So yeah, it's, it's been great getting to know you and I think your work's going yeah, to help you. Lot, you taught me a lot, mate, already. So, well, I appreciate that, mate. <laughs> right. Guru Marsden here. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> but no, yeah, I, it's, hard, it's hard to understand you with that accent, but you know. <laughs> well, I try. I, I just nod sometimes. I've lived in Australia for 17 years, but I've never, never kind of picked the twang up. So that's good. 
I don't know. Just date yeah. works. That's good. <laughs> but yeah, well, thank you for your time. And um, before we go, mate, where can people find out more information about you? Yeah. Um, so I've got music on Spotify, on iTunes, all those sort of platforms. Just under my name, Tim Conlon, T-I-M-C-O-N-L-O-N. And then, you know, I'm on Instagram as well, just under Tim Conlon. Um, especially during these times, you know, I'm, I'm checking everything a lot. I've got more time. So honestly, I, I, gen, I really mean this. If anyone wants to chat, like, just DM me. I'll, I will see it. You know, I'll, I'll get back to you. Um, because, yeah, this is a good time. I've, during these times of COVID, I saw this picture. and It basically said, if you can't go outside, go inside, you know? And it was pointing to this person's head. So I think this is a great time that we can work on ourselves, improve, and, and be connected. And you just hit the nail on the head right there, mate. All that mindfulness. So again, I just want to thank you. And to anybody listening, all you need to do is just head to iHeartRadio or Spotify. You can download this episode. We've got some more incredible guests coming on in the next couple of weeks. Um, until next time, guys, thank you for tuning in. Cheers, Glenn. Thanks.